Proverbs chapter 13 this morning, week number two of our family matters. How many of you think family matters? Come on, say amen. Family matters. Um, I was talking to Kevin Black a moment ago. He's got a brand new grandson, one of the, one of the, one of the third or fourth cutest kids in the world. He's, he's, up, he's up there, but he's, you know, he's, not, he's not one of mine, but he's up there, all right? And uh, we were talking, and he said, five boys. He's got five boys, five grandsons. I said, Kevin, all boys? He said, well, I had five daughters, so now I got five grand. He said, kind of balancing the scales. He said, when I get to be old someday, I'm going to have help. That's good, all right? And I like that. I like the way he's thinking. Family does matter, amen, for all kinds of ways. And we introduced the idea last week that families are under attack, that our world has aligned itself against godly institutions on every front, and the family is just on the tip of that spear. If you can destroy the family... Uh, you can destroy a society. You can destroy a nation. Say amen if you believe that. And this morning, I want to focus particularly, we're going to have a number of sermons. We've got about six of them lined up. And I want to start uh, with just a, just a providential uh, beginning point. I want to talk to fathers today, or grandfathers, or fathers-to-be, or young men who think one day, maybe in a hundred million years from now, you'll be a father. It's actually going to be like five minutes, but that's all right. It's going to it's going to come much faster than you think. Ladies, we're going, to, we're going to come to you. So today, ladies, this is your chance to just say amen a lot. But just remember, we're going to talk about you next week. So just, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's uh, even, even time here. I want to read you a verse of scripture that is often thought of, I think, in the wrong light. It, it's normally applied just to one situation. And the context is actually much broader uh, it is certainly God speaking to his people. It's speaking to individual fathers, but it's not just talking about the one thing that everybody thinks it is. It's Proverbs chapter 13, verse 24. Proverbs 13, 24. It says, whoever this, parents get ready to say amen. All right. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Amen. There we go. Um, we always think that this verse is only talking about whipping your kids or where I came from, whooping. Anybody ever get a whooping? You know what I'm talking about? My mom used to keep, uh, and listen, do y'all remember many years ago, some of you are too young to remember this, but there was a young man who did some, some bad things in Singapore and, and then they caned him. Remember that? And the whole world went crazy. My mom used to keep a piece of cane. We, in the deep south, bamboo grows and she would go out and cut a piece about you know, I don't know, about as big as a dowel rod and hang it on two hat pins on the top of a bulletin board. I've been caned dozens of times. All right. All right. You can get caned and it not, not destroy you. And I can tell you right now that I don't think I ever got any whipping I didn't have coming. There was lots of things I got away with that I didn't get a whipping for. So there was one occasion where my uncle disciplined me for a confusion in, in between him and my aunt. And, uh, and I really did feel like I was, uh, it was an unjust thing. He told me I could go do something that she didn't want me to do. And then she spanked me before they communicated. I was like, Hey, somebody owes me a whip in here. I should get like a credit. But there were dozens of things that I had done that I didn't get caught for. So the balances were still way in my favor. But this verse isn't just talking about whipping. It is, however, talking about discipline. And discipline isn't just something that you do when someone does something wrong. 
You understand? Discipline is a practice in life. Discipline is something that you apply to yourself. Discipline is parameters placed and things taught and structure given so as to prevent damage to a person. Say amen if you get that. And that's really the, this does talk about discipline in this particular case that is corporal punishment, but this, and this is also an application that is much broader than this. And today I want to talk to you about fathers, but not just in a, a broad context. I want to talk to you about godly, appropriate discipline and the roles that fathers are intended to play in that. Now, I want to begin because, uh, because of a statistic that I gave you last week. We have to, uh, I just want to make sure you understand, we are six times more likely in the United States to have single-parent homes anywhere than any other nation in the world. So there are single parents sitting in the room right now. And if you're a single mom, discipline is discipline. No matter where it comes from, it's good. Amen? Uh, it can be, uh, I'm not talking about ungodly discipline. I'm not talking about abuse. That's, we stand against that. So everybody say Amen. But, but I'm talking about parameters set in place for young people because it's the absence of those that create such, such destructive behaviors later in life. And I don't mind telling you that, in my opinion, and it's informed by the Bible, it's not that ladies can't do this because I know some incredible single moms. Say amen if you believe that. There are times when they have to. But this is best, I believe, my opinion, suited for the father figure in the home. The discipline, the heavy, the weight of that, I believe, is best when it comes from the father. I think it's a good thing when kids worry, you just wait till your dad gets home. Amen? Because, I mean, I've kind of, you know, I've grounded you, but, you know, he's, he, you know what I'm talking about. All right? I want to talk to you a little bit because I want to I break this down. It says that he who loves, and I'm going to, instead of using him, he who loves his son is diligent to discipline him. I want to talk about the word diligent just for a moment. In this verse, diligent speaks to discipline that comes at the right time, in a timely fashion. It also communicates the thought of early or quickly. Don't put it off. It's not just talking about an event. In other words, you, you, you misbehaved at 3, you get disciplined no later than 3.30. That's not, it, it's talking about the time of life. It happens in a timely fashion. It happens in a way and in a time that Proverbs chapter 19, verse 18 speaks to. It says, discipline your son for there is hope. In the King James, it says, while there, there's this indication of a time factor. Discipline your son, for there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. This isn't talking about take him to the gates of the city and stone him. It's talking about the impact. Don't give up hope on him and just let him go die. That's the sense of this. Discipline him while there's still time. Discipline your child while they are still impressionable, while you still can don't just write them off. That's the sense of Proverbs chapter 19, verse 18. So we have Proverbs 13 talking about doing it in a timely fashion. Proverbs 19, 18 talking about doing it while there's still hope that the impact of that will shape and mold their character. Today, I want to talk to you about a unique and a specific role of the father in their leadership in the home. And it's the role of godly discipline, not spanking, not punishment. That may at times be what goes on, but discipline, the creation of parameters, the creation of lines and borders and things that are appropriate and things that are not. Moms, you, you absolutely can do this, but I want to speak particularly to the fathers today. 
And I want to do that from the negative sense. I want to show you some examples in the scripture, three particularly, one that we'll spend a little more time than the other two, where this wasn't done, and I want you to watch the outcomes. I want you to see what happens when this doesn't take place. The first one is in 1 Samuel chapter 2. It's the story of Eli and his sons. 1 Samuel chapter 2, beginning in verse 12. And I want to read from the New Living Translation today. I want it to be very plain, very simplistic, and it does a, a better job than the ESV or the King James. This is what Samuel wrote. Now the sons of Eli were scoundrels. Amen. Let's pray. All right. <laughs> now the sons of Eli were scoundrels who had no respect for the Lord or for their duties as priests. How many of you know you got a problem when you got priests who are scoundrels? Amen. Whenever anyone offered a sacrifice, Eli's sons would send over a servant with a three-pronged fork while the meat of the sacrificed animal was still boiling. The servant would stick the fork into the pot and demand that whatever it brought up be given to Eli's sons. All the Israelites who came to worship at Shiloh were treated this way. Sometimes, listen to this, sometimes the servant would come even before the animal's fat had been burned on the altar. He would demand raw meat before it had been boiled so that it could be used for roasting. The man offering the sacrifice might reply, take as much as you want, but the fat must be burned first. Then the servant would demand, no, give it to me now or I'll take it by force. So the sin of these young men was very serious in the Lord's sight, for they treated the Lord's offerings with contempt. In case you don't know the history here or the, the requirements of the law, people would bring an animal, the priest would kill it, they would offer its meat, and there were portions of it that were very specific. And the most specific part was the fat on the meat. It was to be burned on an altar, then the meat would be placed in a cauldron of boiling water, and it would be boiled until it was gone. One of the ways that meat was sacrificed to the Lord. What Eli's sons were doing is that they would have a servant go over and sometimes he would take a three-pronged fork and he would poke down in there and get a piece of meat and instead of it being reserved for the Lord, they would take it and they would eat it. Phineas and Hophni were these guys' names. Other times they would send a servant to someone that even before the meat was placed into the, into the water, they would, they would burn the fat first on a, on a grate, and then they would put it in the water, that even before the fat was given to the part that was specifically reserved for him, they would say, give us the raw meat. We don't want boiled meat today. We want to have a barbecue. We want to grill it. We want to roast it. And if the man said, no, listen, you're, this isn't, if wisdom would come out, listen, you're not doing something right. This, this is reserved for the Lord. At least let the fat be reserved for the Lord. They'd say, listen, you give me that or I'll take it by force. Violence. In the, how would you like it? Dave McBride, you came in today and I said, I want the tithe, buddy. And I want 20% more. No, no. You, you give it or I'll talk to Rosemary about that. Or, 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 or there were guys extorting it. You will pay. That's what, what's going on. That, that's what's taking place. Listen to verse 22 of 1 Samuel chapter 2. Now Eli was very old, but he was aware of what his sons were doing to the people of Israel. 
It gets worse. He knew, for instance, that his sons were seducing the young women who assisted at the entrance of the tabernacle. So the sons of Eli are taking the offering of the Lord. Moreover, they want the meat with the fat on it to roast, and they threaten violence if the people refuse, and they are either seducing or extorting sex from the women who come to pray. And Eli knows that they're doing it. Men, I want you to listen to me now. There is a verse that I'm going to read in a moment, and I want you to hear it very clearly. Those of you that are watching on the stream, I hope you'll share this. I hope hope men will sit up and listen. There is a dilemma that causes, there's a thing in the heart of Eli that enabled this to take place. It creeps into any one of us. Listen to verse... 29. I want you to notice what happens, and I want you to notice why it happens. The Lord says, so why do you scorn my sacrifices and offerings? He's talking to Eli through Samuel. Why do you give your sons, right here, more honor than you give me? Why have you allowed men, why have you, I'm going to say it very simplistic, why have you allowed your children to be more significant to you than I am? You've allowed your kids to determine what's appropriate. You've you've allowed them to set the tone. You've allowed them to create the atmosphere of what goes on in the home. And men, you're the priest. Eli was the priest. They weren't. They were serving as priests. Eli was senior to them. You have given them, the Lord says, you have given them more honor than you've given me. For you and they have become fat from the best offerings of my people Israel. Therefore, I want you to listen to what happens. Therefore, the Lord, the God of Israel says, I promised that your branch of the tribe of Levi would always be my priests. But I will honor those who honor me and I will despise those who think lightly of me. The time is coming when I will put an end to your family, so it will no longer serve as my priest. All the members of your family will die before their time. None will reach old age. You will watch with envy as I pour out prosperity on the people of Israel, but no members of your family will ever live out their days. The few not cut off from serving at my altar will survive, but only so their eyes can go blind and their hearts break and their children will die a violent death. And to prove that what I have said will come true, I will cause your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, to die on the same day. And they do. The Lord asked Eli, why do you give your sons more honor than you give me? All of that because Eli did not lead the discipline of his sons. He did not. He could have at any moment prevented this whole genealogical catastrophe that comes upon his family. He could have just stepped up and said, listen here, men, that stops today. He could have, there are things that could have happened had he stepped in. I want you to know the rest of this story. Through this, this doesn't just affect Eli. Through this prophecy, there leads to war with the Philistines. In that war, if you read the rest of this prophecy, prophecy, thousands of Israelite soldiers are killed. The Ark of the Covenant is captured by the Philistines. Phineas and Hopni are killed. When Eli hears the news of their death, he falls back off of a bench, strikes his head, bleeds, and dies. 
The daughter-in-law of Eli hears of her husband's death, goes into premature labor, and dies giving birth to the child. And with her last breath, she names the child, and you've heard this, Ichabod, meaning the glory has departed. Men, I want you to, I want you to hear the heaviness of this. You cannot advocate your responsibilities to create parameters for your children without there being a detriment that will live on in the legacy of your family. You cannot plant the seed of allowing your kids to determine the atmosphere of your home. You cannot. Listen, I love my kids. I mean, I... I mean, I appreciate that you got I mean, great, wonderful, beautiful grandkids, but they're all subpar to me. Come on, you're supposed to say amen. Like I'm wrong. Like I'm crazy. Kelly, you got the cutest, right? Come on. If you don't feel that, but men, you're creating a legacy. Those of you watching this stream, it's not just about you. It's not just about that child. It's about a legacy that's going to live on beyond you. It's about a heritage that's going to be created that you're going to reinforce. You're planting seeds now, men, that are going to reap a harvest. And it's either going to be a wonderful, sweet, good harvest or it's going to be a bitter harvest. I'm not mad at you. I want you to hear me. There's a whole generation of young men that have been raised without fathers today and they're coming up and they have no parameters on their life whatsoever. They have no restraint. They have no idea of what working really hard at anything is. And that's because they've never had a man come along beside them. It doesn't have to be their father. Some of you could be spiritual fathers to young men like this. And say, come on, we're going we're gonna to split this wood. We're going to get some sort of machine. Yeah, you're it. I just did. Were you paying me? Yeah. All the hamburger at lunch you can eat. Let's go, buddy. They don't know what it feels like to just work and tell you. You, you, know, that, you know that work where you lay down tonight and you go, uh. You know, where every, you get up the next morning and you're like, oh, man, I, I hope that stuff starts moving again. That kind of work. The thing that you walk away from and you look at what you've done and there's something in your heart that says, we worked hard. We did that. We poured ourselves into that. We made that with the help of the Lord. We created that. And young men need to have men come along beside them. Young women need to have men come along beside them that create parameters, create parameters for their life, create parameters for their education, create parameters for their dating, create parameters for their work, create parameters for their money, create parameters for what kind of old beat-up jalopy car they drive. I remember one time Becca was in a home ec class, and they had a test, and it said, they, were, they, had, they had showed them all kinds of things. And one of the tests was, you've had a flat on your car. What is step number one? She put one and she said, call my dad. <laughs> yes, baby, that's exactly what you're supposed to do. And eventually someday erase that and call my husband. Amen. Come on, we need men who will come along beside. Eli could have prevented this whole deal. All of this might have been averted had Eli rebuked and removed. in his discipline of his sons I want you to think of what all that might have happened perhaps the judgment would have been averted perhaps the ark would not have been lost perhaps his ministry might have endured but more than all of that maybe his sons would have lived you don't withhold discipline and it not cost the one that you withhold it from something 
Come on, men, step up. Say amen. Sometimes we have to allow the pain caused by God to come to fruition. Sometimes we want to soften the blow. Sometimes we want to, we want to take the shot of God. Hey, I know we haven't, Dad, we haven't saved any money. We don't have anything put aside. We don't have anything done. We don't have anything. We've, we've spent all our money on something else. But now we need the transmission, would you? No. 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 Yeah, no. But you're going to, but, but we'll be walking. Yeah, it'll be hard. I'll feel really bad. But with every step, you'll learn a lesson. Come on, dads, you have to create parameters. And sometimes those parameters have to be hard. They have to be no. And that's why I say, listen, I'm not saying women shouldn't do that. But I think, and listen, ladies, I'm not trying to diminish you in either way. But I can assure you that even in, in my family, I'm everybody, oh, Pastor Roy, you're the softy, and, and, and Leanne's the one that, 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 you know, she's the toughie that the Lord gave you, but there are just times that you don't know. And the kids will need something or somebody, and I'll say, no, no, not this time. Tell them no. What? You're going to, you're gonna, yeah, tell them no. Why? Because they have to. Learn. You can't soften the blow all the time, Dad. You can't take every shot. Let me give you another one. Real quickly, let me move through these. Eli, you, does everybody get it? Eli messed up. Say amen. How about David? I love David. David, man after God's own heart. I don't want to read you the long section of Scripture. I don't have it for the screen. You know the story. It comes from 2 Samuel chapter 13. David has many wives. One of those wives gives him a son named Amnon. He has another, by another wife, he has Absalom. And Absalom has a sister named Tamar. Absalom and Tamar, whole brothers and sisters. And Amnon is their half-brother. Same dad, different mom. In the course of time, it seems that Tamar was a beautiful young woman. And her half-brother Amnon becomes infatuated with her. One day he is homesick and David tells Tamar, make some food, take it to your half-brother, take care of him while he's sick. And when she goes into him, he grabs her and he rapes her. It becomes known what has happened. David eventually hears about it and he is, the Bible says, very angry, but there's no punishment of Abnon. He expresses his anger, but he doesn't do anything with it. And through the course of time, Absalom who his sister has been defiled, he becomes incensed with the circumstance of his sister. And his heart grows bitter. And he begins to plot Amnon's murder. He, at the time of the harvest, he calls all of the, he asks his father if he can have a celebration that all of the all of David's children would come to. He, he, he knows what he's planning. Finally, David consents. He has this. And in the course of that evening, he gets some others, some of his servants and some others, and they murder Amnon because of David's lack of dealing with Amnon's mistreatment of Tamar, his rape of Tamar. You say, well, Amnon got what he had coming. I would say, yeah, he did. But that's not the end of it. 
that that's not really the thing that happens. Because in the formation of David's lack of activity, all this story is going to, I mean, it's, you're about to see a family that just implodes in dysfunction and all of it lays at David's feet. Not Amnon's and not Absalom's. Amnon is sinful, should have been punished. Absalom murders his half-brother, he should have been punished. This family fractions. Tamar lives in her brother's house the rest of her life. She never gets over what takes place. Amnon goes to this party. Absalom kills him. You say, well, that's it. There you go. Justice has been served. But that's not it. Because the rebellion that had been fomented in Absalom's heart, it doesn't go away with the death of Amnon. The refusal of David to do something about Amnon, it has seeped into Absalom now, and it continues to ferment in his heart. This attitude of rebellion and insurrection continues to grow until one day Absalom, and you may know this, rebels against his father David, goes to the city, begins to get rulers. He basically has a coup, and he takes over for David until eventually a civil war takes place. It, this one act leads to a civil war in Israel where hundreds and hundreds of people are killed until eventually Absalom is fleeing the city. Absalom, who David loved, he has long hair, he gets hung in a tree. Joab, David's general, sees him hanging in a tree, pulls out his bow and shoots three arrows into his heart and kills Absalom, leaves him hanging in the tree. All of that because a father wouldn't do his job. No, you won't. I don't know exactly what punishment would have been appropriate for Amnon, but there should have been something, something severe, something, something that condemned his actions, something that came down upon him heavy. David's heart is broken. This family is fractioned. Absalom is dead. The lineage is broken. There's just dysfunction everywhere because the dad didn't do his job. Let me give you one more, and then we'll wrap this up. Another story that you know really well. A man named Manoah. You may know his name, but you may not know his son. His son's name was Samson. Oh, we love Samson. Man, yeah, Samson. Strong man, pushes over the pillars, kills the Philistines, brings judgment upon the people of God. But, but if that's all you know about Samson, you don't know much about him because he was a mess. He was a Nazarite from birth. He had, his, his mother and father had committed him to the life of a Nazarite. It's found in Judges 14, if you'd like to read this story. One day, as Samson has become a young man, and let me just tell you, as a Nazarite, depending on where you read, he's not supposed to have any fermented drink. He's not supposed to cut his hair. And depending on which, which place you read, he's also not supposed to have a woman at all during that period of time. The Nazarite vow doesn't last for life. It's a period of time. But while he is still engaged in the Nazarite activity, he sees, and not just any woman, not an Israelite woman, it is the time in Samson's life where he should be looking for a wife, but he doesn't set his affections upon an Israelite. He sets his affections upon a Philistine woman. Now, listen, I'm, I'm, this isn't... The, the, the propagation of racism in that day, in that time, it was against the regulations of God for a Nazarite to have any woman and certainly not a Philistine, but he wants her. And you see something in the language. When you read in Judges 14, the scripture says that Samson turns to his mother and his father and he says this, get her for me. 
I don't know about you, but that, that kind of... Jack comes up to me and says, Dad, I like that car. Get it for me. I don't know about you, but I, I got a little... I'm like, excuse me? Hey, there's a broom over in the corner. Go get it. All right. Because I'm about to whack you with it. All right. Get it for me. That's the way, that's exactly the way the scripture tells this story. Get her for me. And rather than his father Manoah going, no. First of all, I'm not getting you anybody until you complete your Nazarite vow. Secondly, when I go get you somebody, and I, would have, I, could, I can hear me growing with each point. She won't be a Philistine. She'll be an Israelite. And thirdly, come here. <laughs> you know, what were you thinking? But there's none of that. I know I'm embellishing the story a little bit, but there's no rebuke. His father and his mother go and get her for him. Come on, dads. At some point in time, you need to, come on, Manoah, you need to set him down and say, listen, there's some things that I know. The reason I know them is because I'm old and I was stupid like you are. <laughs> I, I've walked this route. You need to listen to me. I've stepped in this hole before. I know she's cute. I know that she's beautiful. I know she's got a good figure. But let me tell you, dude, she is a mess and she's going to mess up your life. And if I have to, I'll enlist you in the Marine Corps and send you to Libya or something. You're going to military school. I'm, you're moving in with your grandparents in Michigan. You're gonna, but you're not going to marry this girl. Have you ever? And oh, man. It, I'm not going to ask that. I'm going to ask the question. I don't want anybody to answer it. All right? For fear of your life. I didn't grow up in the kind of home where I had somebody counseling me on those kinds of decisions. I'm, I'm going to get a job. I'm not going to go to school. I'm going to join the military. I'm going to, those were just, Danny, those were just me waking up one day going, I think I'm going to do this. Praise the Lord, I married Leanne. Here's the part that if I need told in the second service, I'll tell it. She wasn't my first girlfriend. Kelly, thank the Lord I didn't marry one of those. But there wasn't any counsel anywhere available. Dads, don't you do that. I can assure you that when young Mr. Peterson showed up at my house, I got to know him extensively well. Mr. Trabuco just, man, just barely made the cut. Trabuco had this long hair. He was kind of a, and I'm like, man, I don't know. I'm going to run him off. And he kind of shaped up and became a good guy. But listen, dads, you need to be involved. Say amen. You need to create the parameters. You don't need to be indulgent. It's all right to tell your kids, no, get a job. Go do some work. Right now, we've got Jack on a, you want money? Here's a list of chores. They're worth this. Dad, I need gas money. You know what? I need leaves raked. Hey, doesn't that, that works out so good, doesn't it? Your mom needs beds made. I need bed made because I'm not going to do it. <laughs> you do it, all right? I need yards mowed. Jack knows that if he needs gas money, he goes, Jack, the yard didn't mow it. It, it really didn't, didn't need mowing. Yeah, but I need a gas money, so I mowed that yard. Wait a minute. We need to talk about how this works. All right? We raked the leaves yesterday. I raked them again today. Paid me. All right? He's on this deal where he understands that if he's going to have money, he's going to have to earn it. 
Create parameters for your kid. God uses, listen, Samson's disobedience in a lot of ways. That um, The story of Samson is a complicated story. Even in his sin, God uses Samson's sin to teach the people of Israel. But he is not an example. Ooh, I'm gonna, I want to raise my sons to live like Samson. No, you don't. There, there are examples. This is one of the things I love about the Bible. There are stories in the Bible that aren't intended to be replicated. They're in there to show you what not to do. And Samson's is one of those. Samson sees this Philistine woman. He wants her. He's a Nazarite. He is forbidden to marry outside of the Israelite people or in some people's minds to even have a woman while he's in this, in this Nazarite deal. And God uses his obedience that we might understand what should be. His father should have said No. Now, what about you, dads? Let me stop there. Let me give you three real quick points. I won't preach them. Number one, from these stories. Fathers, you must. Say must with me. You must honor God more than your children. Let me, listen, I I know that our world is a confusing world, but honor God more than your children. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and he'll help you take care of your kids. Set for them, dad, the example of a godly man, of a godly home. You won't live perfect. Some of you say, well, I can't do that, so I'm not going to try. God's not asking for perfection. He's asking for effort. Set your sights on living a godly life before your children. The Lord will take care of the rest. Number two, fathers, don't tolerate any degree of rebellion. any degree. We, and listen, I'm not going to do another sermon. We may do one on parenting, but let me just touch on this right now. There's always been a deal that we have required from our children. To this, even as grown-ups, I I find myself having to back off because I have to remember these aren't kids anymore. You cannot whack them. All right? We have always required cheerful, get this, willing obedience. Cheerful, willing obedience. What does that mean? You can't, I'm going to move, no, 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 come back here, we're not done yet. Cheerful, willing obedience. Anything less than that is not what the Lord wants. So fathers, honor the, honor the Lord more than your children. Number two, don't tolerate any degree of rebellion. And number three, don't give your kids everything they want. It's all right to say no. Father, this morning, we ask you, Lord, to raise up an army Otis, just just Otis is probably all I need back this morning. Lord, an army of men, an army of men, Lord, who will stand, Lord, in between you and their kids and their wife as a priest, Father, as mediators of a covenant that they and their wife formed wasn't a contract that they put together when they got married, Lord. It was a covenant in your eyes. It was a covenant that outlined if they would be these things, you would be these things for them. And Lord, I'm looking for men in this world, which are rare, Father, men in this world who will sit between their families and you and mediate that covenant. Be the representation of the Heavenly Father on the earth. Patient and kind, and strong, and long-suffering, and gracious, but also determined 
and dependable and sacrificial. Lord, raise up men who will fulfill the roles of creating a disciplined environment for their children to live in and to grow in. If they won't do that, Father, they're going to reap a bitter harvest someday. There are no promises, Lord. You were a perfect parent, and your kids rebelled against you in the Garden of Eden. You, a perfect parent, put kids in a perfect environment, and they still sinned and rebelled against you. There are no absolute promises here, Father. People have free will. Grown-up kids can choose to do whatever they want. So, Father, I don't, I don't believe that we can guarantee anything. But, Lord, I can guarantee that the absence of strong, willful, dependable fathers is detrimental to young people. It can be done, Father. Strong, wonderful women are doing it. But that wasn't your plan. Lord, raise up. Raise up godly men. In the absence of them, raise up godly women who create parameters. But discipline has to be a part of young lives. Parameters for them. Congregation, would you stand with me this morning? I know this is more educational than it is inspirational. But I just wonder if men would join me. Every, every, every man in the room that would. Join me right down here. You say, well, my kids are grown, or I don't have kids, and I don't even like kids. It doesn't matter. Come on down here. All right? Even if you don't have kids, kids need spiritual fathers. Amen? Come on, say amen. We got a fair number of kids coming to this church that their families don't come, and they need men to step into their lives and be role models, to be strong, to be dependable, to be available. Congregation, would you bow your head? Father, right now, these men have stepped out, Lord, and they've, they've at least walked down here. Here's what I pray, Father, that each one of them would feel your presence and they would feel a determination to be involved, to be engaged, to be aware. Kids, grandkids, great-grandchildren, Father. They're, I love the verse that says, discipline them while there is still hope. While the discipline, the parameters can benefit and can add up to something that will bring, bring life to these young people. Lord, I think we all imagine and have seen the impact of fatherless homes. Or better yet, Father, disciplineless homes. Because moms can do this. Kids, young people raised with no discipline, Lord, well, it eventually kills them. It kills others around them kills them emotionally, kills them financially, kills them physically at times, kills them relationally. And Lord, we're not being the church if we just allow people to just slip into death without us doing something. So Father, I pray for each one of these men today. I pray that they would be bold. Even, Father, here's even if they recognize in their life they're late recognize that they should have done this 20 years ago. Okay. So we, we came to school late. So be it. The enemy would want to bring condemnation to those men, and I bind that in the name of Jesus. That's got no place in you, Lord. You bring conviction, not condemnation. Condemnation pushes down and destroys. We want to lift up, and that's what you do. 
Here's what I pray, that those men right now, Father, they would say to you, Lord, forgive me. I didn't do my job. I was too busy working, too busy making money, too busy with sports, too busy fishing or golf or something. Or I was just gone. Their mother and I divorced and I wasn't involved. Whatever it is, Lord, whatever it is, we ask you to forgive us. Come on, man, if that's you, ask the Lord to forgive you. You should have done better. I'm not going to take you off the hook. You should have been a better dad. Now the Lord will forgive you. Start today. You may have a long road of recovery. You may have to rebuild bridges that have been long since burned. You may have to reestablish relationships. And even, now watch this, even, even if there's not hope, and only the Lord can determine that, you don't know when your counsel stops producing a good thing. Only the Lord does. Get in the game, men. But even if it didn't, on one generation, there's almost always another one behind him. And let me tell you, grandfathers are powerful things. Come on, use what God has given you. Pour into their lives. Be a solid sense of love and discipline. It's the combination. There is such a powerful combination, men, in discipline and unconditional love. When those two, anybody can be a I mean, just an old curmudgeon. Anybody can be an old taskmaster, constantly cracking the whip, constant. Anybody can do that. And anybody can be a donut. Just a Pillsbury doodad. Just giggles at everything. Anybody can do either of those. But it takes a man, a godly man, to love passionately and unconditionally and be a disciplinarian at the same time. It is that love that sets the stage, man. Now listen, if you're not going to love your kids, don't discipline them. If you're not going to squeeze them and hug them and tell them, I love you, I'm here for you. I'm, come on, if you're not going to be that kind of a guy, then don't try to make rules. Because then you're just, a, you're just an empty shell. You're just, you're just cold. You'll push them away. It is the violation of the love that brings the motivation to do the right thing. Did you hear me? It is the violation of the love that you have shown that draws them to you in their transgression. You got to do both. And it takes godly, strong men of character to do that. Anybody can be a rule maker and anybody can say yes all the time. It takes a man to do both. Passionately in love with your kids and your grandkids and your great-grandkids and other kids around you. And at the same time saying, no, no, that's not, that's not who we are. That's not how we act. That's not what we're going to be. It's not who you're going to be. No, you can't go. No, you can't have it. Yes, you will do this. Why? Because I love you and you know it. You got to love and you got to do both. Father, I pray you'd bless these men with the ability to do both. Love passionately and discipline firmly. Lord, just in closing, I can't help but to pray for those ladies that are here. I don't want them for a minute to think that we don't recognize the extraordinary job that single moms are doing. I pray you'd surround their kids with godly influences to help them. Let this church be a place like that. That kids that only have a mom raising them would find in this place great godly examples of spiritual fathers help us to be that place bless these men use them to build your kingdom in Jesus powerful name
And everyone said, 